0: Amen. Y'all sounded great. Like, y'all the best thing happening this morning. Trust me.
1: Yeah. You to work out you. <laughs> yeah
0: he set the bar high. I was telling them to set it low. Like, it just didn't work for me. <laughs> How y'all doing, guys? My name is Barry Fall. As Mr. Jim said, my name is Barry Fall. I am the youth pastor at First Baptist Las Cruces. Uh, I've been there for about four years. I'm originally from South Louisiana. Uh, go LSU. And if you're a Bama fan, <laughs> <laughs> if you're a Bama fan? <laughs> um, <laughs> that was mean, and uh, I don't care. Um, so, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 7. So, uh, just kind of turn there if you got a chance. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 7, going through verse 1 and 13. Uh, start off like this How many of you have heard the word crazy lately? Right? I'm a youth pastor, so it's used all the time. I get it, right? right. Uh, it's kind of one of those buzzwords right now. Uh, everybody's crazy, right? Whether good, bad, indifferent, everybody's crazy, right? The kids in the youth group are crazy. Everyone's crazy but me. My in-laws are crazy. My husband's crazy. Uh, you know, whatever. Uh, it's just crazy. Your pastor's crazy. Like, I'm going to be honest with you. Brother Larry, I love him to death. He was texting me. He is in contact, Mr. Jim. He is, because he texted me five times while worship was happening. I literally text him back, enjoy your vacation, stop texting me, church has started. And I get back, that's funny. I'm like, <laughs> so your pastor's crazy. I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> huh? Y'all knew that already, right? Good. See, it, it didn't take long. I've known him for about three years, and there, there was a hint. Um, <laughs> so for the next 30 minutes or so, I'm going to try to convince you that it's not everybody else, that we're all crazy. Okay? Shouldn't be that hard of a, of a, of a stretch for some of y'all. Um, let's define crazy. Crazy is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Can we agree with that? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Like me keep clamping this this microphone on that keeps falling off my ear. But here's the problem with that. We don't like change, right? We don't like it. And the only way we are going to change is if the prospect of the change is better than the condition in which we are in. Does that make sense? It was the theologian, Ozzy Osbourne, who said it best. <laughs> Y'all got it. I'm glad. There are millions of people going off the rail on the crazy train, right? We will, we will ride that train until we cannot stand it anymore, right? Think about this. You've, you've seen the news lately. If I hear one more thing about a politics, I'm going to just like turn off my TV and never turn it back on again until after a couple Novembers from now cuz it's crazy. Like I'm done with it, right? We, we we get to the point and we ride that crazy train until we've had enough. How many of you can finish this statement for me? Enough is right? I have 3 kids, one of them is a 14-year-old girl and a freshman in high school. Enough is a, mm, right? I, I, I'm like, at some point, I'm like, I'm gonna, you're not going to make it to 10th grade. Like, it's just, I love you. But I have, I adopted you, so I have a return slip. I can return you, right? It's just how it works in my life. Um, and then I have a son that's just like me. And oh, my God, I'm going to strangle him before he turns 11, because he's 10. And I can't beat me out of him. Uh, <laughs> y'all know what I'm saying. But, but, right, so, so we hate change. We fight change. We, we, we resist that change until enough is enough, right? I, I use this example all the time. Me and my wife have a bet. Realize, I graduated high school and played college ball at 265 pounds. That, that's what I graduated high school and played college ball at. I haven't seen 250 since, like, freshman year in high school. So me and my wife have a deal, uh, If I hit 250 and stay there for a couple of weeks, I get to shave my beard. I haven't had a clean face since twenty fourteen. I worked on helicopters for 18 years of my life and I had to be clean shaven every day. So I bought a sugarcane farm in Southwest Louisiana while I was pastor in a church and I just woke up one morning and said, I'm not shaving. And my wife says, well, your beard looks better than your face, so you're keeping the beard. So I haven't shaved since 2014, right? Like, this, is, this has been me since 2014, which I kind of enjoy because if I shave at 6 o'clock in the morning, at 2 o'clock I have a 5 o'clock shadow. I grow pretty, my, my beard grows pretty quick. But, so if I'm telling you, if I get to 250, I get to shave. And you walk up to me after church and say, hey, Barry, how are you going to get to 250? And I tell you, oh, I'm, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm not going to change my eating habits. I'm not going to work out any differently. I'm not going to do anything different in my life. You would look at me as I was crazy, right? Because the reason I am at 295, 305, depending on the day, is because of my lifestyle, right? Because I'm from South Louisiana, and I eat a ton of carbs, and rice is my best friend, right? So that that is me. So if, and it sounds crazy even coming out of my mouth, right, Like like, You would look at me and say that that's crazy. You're gonna stay fat and you're gonna never have a shaven face. You're right. But that's where Israel was at. When you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 7, they have been riding this crazy train for 20 years. Okay? You're looking at, at the book of 1 Samuel. The last time you hear about Samuel is in chapter three verse one uh, uh, chapter three verse one reads this in those days, the word of the Lord was rare and then you go the next four chapters and you find out that Israel is in chaos. They have this high priest named Eli, and he is the, like, he's a loving father, but he's one of those out of the place fathers that doesn't discipline his kids. He's got these two sons, Hophni and Phineas, and they—you would be hard pressed in the Bible to find any more morally corrupt guys in the Old Testament. They are doing some unspeakable things in the temple. And because of that, and because of Eli not stepping in and being A, the high priest, and being their father, God judges his whole family. And in one day, him and his whole family, all of the male descendants, die. The Ark of the Covenant is taken by the Philistines, and Israel is in total shambles. And God's judgment comes upon them. This is where we pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1. So the men of Kirath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord. They took it to Abinadab's house on the hill and consecrated Eleazar, his son, to guard the ark of the Lord verse 2. It was a long time, 20 years in all, that the ark remained at Kirath-Jerim. And all the people of Israel mourned and sought after the Lord. And Samuel said to the whole house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all of your heart, then rid yourself of the foreign gods, the Ashtar's and commit yourself to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. So the Israelites, whoop, sorry about that. Ah, oh, forget it. So the Israelites put away their bales, put away their asters, and served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Assemble all the Israelites at Mizpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. Then they had assembled at Mitzvah, and they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day, they fasted, and they confessed. We have sinned against the Lord, and Samuel was the leader of Israel at Mitzvah. And when the Philistines heard that that Israel had assembled at Mitzvah, the rulers of the Philistines came up and attacked them, and they went, Uh, And when the Israelites heard of this, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, do not stop crying out to the Lord, our God, for us, that he may rescue us from the hands of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it up as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day the Lord thundered with a loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they, that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mithpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them all the way to a point uh, below beth Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mishpah and Shin, and he named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far has the Lord helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not invade Israel's territory again. They had had enough. It was 20 years, 20 years of hearing the stories of how great God was, 20 years of hearing the blessings, 20 years of knowing they were living their lives the way they should not have lived their lives. And finally, a group of them stood up and said, enough's enough. The train has pulled into the station, and I'm getting off. I'm getting off. With 20 years, change coming into effect. And I said it earlier, nobody likes change, right? If you think somebody likes change, try something. Change it. Dare you. Paint the walls in here. Change the time of Sunday school class. Change anything. And you will watch somebody blow a fuse and lose their mind. Tell me I'm wrong, right? We all know this. Israel got to the station. They said, I'm done. We've heard this. We've heard the stories. We've heard everything. We have no high priest. We have no leader. We're all these 12 different tribes living on our own. God promised us all these things. He promised us all these blessings. Where are they? How many of us feel that way today? As a youth pastor and just as a pastor in general, I get it all the time, right? It's been a long time since I felt God. It's been a long time since I've heard from God, right? You've ever said that or thought that? At the end of the day, one of the reasons we don't hear from God, one of the reasons we don't feel God because we're really not searching for him. See, this is the hardest part of this sermon that I'm preaching today, is getting you to realize that enough's enough. Getting you to realize that being okay is not okay. Because in general, I mean, you might have those one or two areas of your life, be like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of messed up right there. Yeah, I, I shouldn't have done that. But overall, I'm good. I'm better than that dude, right? And fill in that dude, right? I'm better than mm, whoever. When is the status quo good enough? When is the status quo good enough? It hit me really hard this year, right? I have a tradition that I do with my kids, and I've done it for the last 10 years since, they were in, since my daughter was in kindergarten. Every day, the first day of school, we go have breakfast, normally at McDonald's, me and them, I, I go grab them breakfast, we eat breakfast as a family, and then uh, I take them to school and I drop them off, I pray for them, and I drop them off at school. This year, when, when I was doing it, I realized I had three more years with my daughter, and then she was out of my house, right? I, I Unless she lets me do it when she's in college or she doesn't leave. That, that three more years, this is all I had with my daughter. And I took her to school, and I was praying for her, and I get to, oh, Dad, stop it. And I'm like, shut up and let me pray. It was very holy of me. Um <laughs> So I'm praying for her, and I drop her off at the first day of school, and I'm watching her walk into Centennial High School in Cruces. And I see all these hundreds of kids piling out of vehicles. And this quote from a book that, I'm, that I was reading at the time, and still I, I go over it a lot. What is the faith of the next generation worth That's all that kept ringing through my head. What is the faith of the next generation worth? Let me let me draw it a little closer to home. What is the faith of your kids? What is the faith of your grandkids? What is the faith of this community worth to you? And is the status quo good enough? I realize Cloudcroft is not a large community. But there's a lot more people in this community than are sitting in this room right now. There's a lot more students in this community than are sitting in this room right now. What is the faith of the people not sitting in this room worth? Because the status quo is not good enough. I understand change is scary. I I understand change is hard. And I understand that my faith is private. But if we were called to be private, if we were called to be status quo, you wouldn't be sitting in these chairs. Christianity would have died with the 11 guys sitting in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. 11 guys who said status quo isn't good enough and died for their faith. The 11 guys who said Jesus dying on a cross is worth proclaiming. His salvation His grace and His mercy is worth proclaiming. Israel comes to that point that status quo is no longer good enough. And look what they say in verse 2. Look how they do it. Look. The principles are here. And all the people of Israel mourned. They mourned. I understand, look, I understand mourning is not sociably acceptable, Right? If you lose somebody close to you, if somebody dies, you can cry for a day. But by the end of the week, you, you need to step it up. You need to suck it up and keep going, right? I, I grew up. My dad literally broke his back in the oil field. He was a company man uh, for an oil field company in southwest Louisiana. He, he got in a boat wreck and broke his back. I grew up in the oil field. If it doesn't fit, just get a bigger hammer. I'll make it fit, right? That's my mentality to this day, Right? I will just put my head down. I will plow through doors and we will just get it done. You know, again, my mentality, crying is for women and children and men don't cry, right? Right, we, we you just, you put a job in front of me, I'll get it done. They mourned, they, they, they wept. There's this word in, in the Greek it is uncontrollable weeping. They wept because the state of their country. Guys, when's the last time you wept over somebody's salvation? When's the last time you've prayed for the salvation of your community? When's the last time you prayed for your family member to come to? This is what Israel is doing. Israel is hitting their knees, knowing that everything is going wrong, and they are weeping, they are mourning for their country. Look here, again, I do not like emotional sermons, right? I, I, I believe the Bible when it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Some of us take it to the mind too strong, right? Some of us look at it and say, all right, it's all about knowledge. It's all about taking it in. It's making a decision to follow God. But there's that aspect of emotion. I'm not saying check your heart at the door. I'm not saying check your mind at the door either, though. Men, if you are the leaders of your household, if you are the spiritual leaders of your household, and you don't cry over your family, you need to check your heart. When I was working on this sermon, this hit me like a ton of bricks. This hit me that when was the last time I actually truly prayed for my kids? I'm not saying, because I go through the motions, right? I pray for my family. I pray for their spouse. I pray for their husbands and and my son's wife, that he's coming. I pray that God brings them to faith. I, I pray for all those things but I had to be honest with myself. It's been a while since it's been from my heart. It's been a while since, since it came from here. Proverbs says that your heart is the wellspring of life. That, that, that's where your life comes from. I, I can pray for my kids up here all day long. I can pray for this church. Because I have been, ever since Brother Larry asked me to come pray, I've been praying for these, last two, these next two weeks, and I've been praying for y'all. And I've been praying that God would give me a word. But in the same breath, a lot of it was just up here. It never came from here. And when was the last time we, as a community of faith, got down and prayed, truly prayed? Israel is mourning. They're chasing after God. And they sought, verse 2, they sought after the Lord with their whole heart. Samuel says, If you're returning to the Lord with all of your heart, then rid yourself of the foreign gods. As they come, and they stand before Samuel, and he is finally their leader. He, he, is, he is the high priest, he is their prophet. Samuel says one thing to him if you're returning, if you're coming back to God, if you're going to expect to be in front of the Lord, there's only one way to come, and it's to come wholeheartedly. Well, I, I say this a lot to, to my kids. How much faith does it take to be saved? How much faith? Anybody? But doesn't the scripture say that the faith of a mustard seed moves a mountain? Right? How much faith does it take to get saved? It takes faith. The mustard seed moves the mountain. But it takes faith to be saved. There's no measurement that God says that it takes to be saved. It takes faith. And that faith looks different for you and you and you than it does for me. But it takes faith. Samuel says we come wholeheartedly to the Lord and there's no other way. Let's get down to verse 5 with me. Then Samuel says, Assemble all of Israel at Mizpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. And when they had assembled, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. This picture, okay, you got to realize, see this with me. Three, four thousand years ago, they're sitting in a desert, Right? they all assemble, they draw water, okay? They didn't go to the tap, turn on the tap, put it in a pitcher, and then walk up in front of Samuel, right? It takes some effort, right? It takes effort. And in their day, in a place where the desert, where water is scarce and, and is the giving life, they walk up in front of God and they pour it out. They pour it on the ground. And I don't know if you've done that down in Cruces, couple thousand feet that way or even alamogordo where it's where, desert right y'all have it nice green and pretty up here and there's water flowing you go down there there's not a lot right and you pour that water out you ain't putting it back in the pitcher. you pour it out it's gone and it's the symbolizing of israel coming before god and them saying i need you more than i need water i need god more than I need life. And if you're not going to show up, God, then there's no point in living and I don't need a drink. They came before God. They poured out the substance of life. They're mourning. They're weeping. They're confessing their sins. Wait up, confessing? Yeah, that's what it says. It says they confessed. I said it earlier, guys. Our relationship with the Lord is is personal. It's not private. You understand what I'm saying right there? Your relationship with God is a personal one, but it for sure is not private. You have to live out your faith if you expect your community, your loved ones, and your friends to come to faith. This was made no clearer than me to me than when I worked on helicopters, right? I was a bivocational pastor. I worked on helicopters for the oil field. And uh, I did vibration diagnostics, which even I don't know what that means, so don't even worry about it. But I had an office, and everybody knew I was a pastor, right? And the guy across the hall from me, uh, Kobe Patin, uh Hardcore Catholic, love him to death. I was born and raised Catholic. I understand that. Hardcore Catholic. And I would get on the phone sometimes, and I'd get frustrated because it's oil field, and you've got to understand this. So it's oil field. I'd I'd get on the phone, I kept a Bible on my desk. Not to say that I was holy, but it was just to keep me from cursing everybody else out around me. So that's why the Bible stayed on my desk. And I'd get on the phone, and sometimes I'd slip, right? And I'd say stuff that I shouldn't have said, and I'd slam the phone down. And I'd hear Kobe from across the hall You're not going to make Pope that way, Barry. (sniffs) So I'd stand up. I'd take a couple seconds. I'd count to 30. Stand up, apologize to Kobe, get back on the phone, call the moron that I just talked to, apologize to him, and move on with life. Because I realized that me living out my faith meant people were watching me and they knew that I was a pastor and they held me to a higher standard. And it wasn't that I was perfect because the only perfect person was Jesus, but how I failed and how I repented of that failure meant mounds to Kobe. It earned me respect with Kobe and other people in his family to the point that Kobe, being as Catholic as Kobe was, I preached his God at Paul's funeral. Because he respected me that much. We have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But it for darn sure ain't private. If you claim to be a follower of Christ, you better make sure that when you fail, and you will and you will sin that the people you sin against, you confess to, and you ask for for forgiveness. Christianity is not perfect, but we're different. Does that make sense? They mourned. Oh, and here's here's the favorite one for Baptists. So just just bear with me. Verse 6. I'm just, A, I'm just telling you what this says. Uh, Drew water confessed. Uh, we have seen. Where is it? I know it's right in verse six. I missed it. Uh, when they had assembled at by they drew water, poured it out before the Lord, and that day they fasted. I get it. We're Baptists. Like it's eleven forty three. Some of y'all didn't have breakfast this morning, and y'all are just wondering what's in the crock pot at home, right? Or or does Mad Jack's, he needs to hurry up because Mad Jack's line is going to be and I'm not going to get any brisket, right? That, some of y'all are thinking that. The fat dude on stage is thinking that. Um, <laughs> they fasted. Now, now, realize this. The Bible only calls for one day a year you fast, right? As Baptists, that's a four-letter word that we don't talk about. And when we do talk about it, we use it as a stick to hit God to get what we want, right? But like, like, well, I'm going to fast so God can show me. I'm going to fast so God can give me this new job, truck, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, right? How many of us have done that? How many of us has used that? How many of us have just never fasted at all? Now, now see, understand, there's different types of fasting. I encourage my youth group to fast from technology all the time. And the point of fasting isn't that God's in heaven with a big stick waiting for you to mess up and be like, okay, see, you broke, Pam, right? No, it's the point of fasting is when you remember or or if if you're fasting for food, when you get hungry, it reminds you of your dependence on the Lord, so it should cause you to pray right? For like the kids, when I tell them to fast from technology, when you want to go play the video game, that should remind you of God and you should that should lead you to prayer. That's the point of fasting. It, it, it's your dependence, not on that thing, but on God for sustaining your life. So, so when they, they fasted, they, they went to that point where we've poured out the water, we're fasting. We're knowing that if God doesn't show up, if God doesn't, if he doesn't Show up in this point, in this place in our lives, our lives are not worth living. And we're done. And you come to this place where he goes in verse 7. And when the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled in Mesphah, and the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. And when Israelite and when the Israelites heard it, they were afraid. Afraid of the Philistines and they said to Sam, Samuel, do not stop crying out, catch this to our God. God had went from this abstract of 20 years, we've heard about all this stuff to a place where he was theirs. And I get it, the Philistines in this day and time, they were ruling over them, they heard of all these people coming together, they thought they were coming for an army. So the Philistines show up to protect their property, to show Israelites who's boss, right? They show up full force, everybody in hand, and, and, and we're going to win. They do this great battle. It, it, the Lord thunders. The Lord shows up. They run. They, they kill all these, these Philistines. Israelite Israel is free again. Skip down to verse 12 with me. We're almost done, guys. Verse 12 says this. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mesphah and Shin, and he named it Ebenezer. I'm going to be honest with you. First time I heard this, all I thought of was uh, the Christmas story, uh, Tiny Tim, Ebenezer Scrooge, you know. Can I have some more, please? You know, that dude. Like every time I see Ebenezer, that's what I think of, Right. Like, why is he setting up a grumpy old dude in in, in it? But, but this this word of Ebenezer is it's it literally translates stone of remembrance. So what it was was Samuel takes this stone, he sets it up between these two cities on a major thoroughfare. Thoroughfare, they're about thirty miles apart. He sets it in the middle on the side of the road, so that way, as you're as you're walking back and forth, the Israelite community will remember. God saved us. God brought us here. We're here because of Him. Guys, there's some of us, me included, that need to set up some Ebenezers in our life. We live in a fast paced, quick society. The average person in America is bombarded. By over three thousand advertisements a day, between billboards, commercials, radios, internet ads, and everything else, the average American is bombarded by over three thousand advertisements a day that are selling you stuff that you don't want, you don't need, and you just want to be like somebody else. It's that's what they're selling you. And in that type of society, and in that type of place, we forget quickly. It's one of those. What have you done for me lately? right? And some of us, some of us need to set up some stones of remembrance, whether it's a plaque on your wall, whether it's a rock that's in your yard, whether it's whatever it is, that when you see it, you can remember that God did a work in my life. That God showed up when I needed him the most. Guys, he's shown up for every one of us. I guarantee you just, I don't know you, but I know God and I know his faithfulness. And he has shown up in your life. Probably more times than you can count. And probably in ways that you would never expect it. And probably in some times that you don't even remember. And when we get to heaven and all that's revealed, there's a reason why we hit our knees. When God shows up, we need to remember it. And when our neighbors come by and say, hey, what's that strange rock in your yard? Hey, what's that plaque for? Let me tell you about my Ebenezer. Let me tell you about when God showed up and showed off and how much I love him. Because He loved me while I was yet still a sinner. That as I was dead in my sins and transgressions, he gave me new life. And that's my Ebenezer. That's my stone of remembrance. Samuel sets this up. And scripture says, so the Philistines were subdued and they never invaded the Israelite territory again. Sometimes when I've done everything that I can do and I have nothing left, I turn to God and I yell out for help. Let me pay your dumb tax. Don't do that. Yell out to God. Don't be like Israel, 20 years living in chaos and screaming out for help. Come to God, come to Him. What is the faith of the next generation worth to you? Is it worth a little bit of uncomfort? Is it worth some different colors? Is it worth setting up that Ebenezer in your life? What is it for you? I can't give you that answer. The Bible is full of principles and the method is up to you. The principle for this scripture verse is come to God because He's there and He loves you and He will take care of you. The method in which you do that is on you because it takes faith. It takes faith. As the worship team comes up, I'm going to close. And one of the things that I've been praying for And it's one of the things I I always pray for is revival. I pray for revival and I pray for revival for Cloudcroft and I pray that it starts with y'all. That with this group of believers in this community, in this church, who love one another, that when revival starts with you, it is contagious and it spreads. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your servant, Samuel. Father, I thank you that he recorded the events that happened and that we may take these principles and apply them to our lives. Father, help us mourn for our loved ones in our community. Help us mourn for the next generation. Help us confess and live a public faith. And Father, use us to bring more people to you. Father, if there's someone in this room today that does not know you, that does not know you as Lord and Savior, do not let them leave this place without coming to you, Father. And Father, faith is what you call us to. And it's because of your love You sent your son to die for each and every one of us, that we may know you and have eternal life. Father, I pray for each and every one of us. That as you live, you live in us. In Jesus' name I pray.